I have printed here for your study certain uh, scriptures which will be helpful to you in determining what the Bible says and also on the back some words from a, a great theologian and Bible scholar who has addressed uh, this issue also. And now I want to read our lesson from the New Testament. It's found in, we have been studying some encounters that Jesus has had with various individuals. Most of these have been casual encounters. We began this with a series of four men whom he met on the way to the cross uh, for the first time. And today we see what is apparently in a, a casual encounter. I'm sure that when that woman got up that day to go to the well, she never dreamed that such events would transpire. But listen to what transpires when Jesus teaches us how to relate faith in him to other people. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Jesus didn't want to get in any controversy about baptism. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea. Now Judea is in the south. And uh, he departed again into Galilee to go up north. And he had to pass through Samaria. Not strictly speaking did he have to pass through Samaria, for Jews avoided Samaria by going around it. But he went through Samaria for a, another reason, and that reason is to come in contact with this woman. And so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That would have been the blazing heat of noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew, if you knew, Boy, that's a great line. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew what was waiting for you in the course of this time of worship, what could happen to your heart? God could make a great transformation here today. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, 
and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem uh, shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. A little over a hundred years ago, one of the most famous philosophers in the world was a German philosopher by the name of Arthur Schopenhauer. Arthur Schopenhauer was one day thinking of some big philosophical problem as he sat on a park bench in the city of Berlin. A policeman approached him and thought he was a vagrant, and the policeman punched him with a nightstick in the ribs and said, who are you? And Schopenhauer's famous reply came back with a blank stare in the eyes of the policeman. I wish I knew. He was thinking about man. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And when we stop to think about this, and when we look at the passage of scripture we see today, we see our Savior dealing with the soul of a woman quite different from the one in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. In chapter 3 of John's Gospel, there is the famous encounter with Nicodemus, a highly placed ecclesiastical official, a learned theologian, and an old man whose head was full of learning and whose heart really wanted the Lord. He had sought out Jesus at night, and Jesus had talked plainly to him of the fact that even though he were a great theologian, he needed a new birth that could only come from God, that could only come from above. Nicodemus had to take this in. And Jesus told him that he must be born again. It was not optional. It was something that had to be, or he could neither see nor understand the kingdom of God. Donald Gray Barnhouse Sr. was one of my favorite preachers. I can remember as a boy in seminary, I would take two or three tr uh, transfers on a bus to get into the city of Atlanta to hear him preaching in some church. And I would always find the church full of people. He was a great biblical expositor. 
Now, I remember he used to say, I was born in the state of California. But he said in the state of California, there are very great differences in climate. You can be in Death Valley, which is hundreds of feet below the level of the sea and stifling hot and dangerous. Or you can be on top of Mount Whitney, more than 15,000 feet high in elevation, but you are still in the state of California. He said the way out is not to struggle up the mountain. Uh, uh, the way out is to get out of that state. And the way out of this state of ours which has bound us to sin is through a new birth which comes in Jesus Christ who paid it all. That's the way he accomplished it. And now he speaks of necessities that he must needs pass through Samaria. He didn't need to go to Samaria to get to Galilee any more than you need to go to Hickory to get to Johnson City. But uh, he went through Samaria for a purpose, and that purpose was to encounter this woman who would meet him at the well of Sychar. This was an old and distinguished well with many memories that hovered around it, and yet this woman is there at the blaring hour of noonday. Most of the people would go, as you know, and gather, uh, take water in the early hours of the day while it was cool. But she had come out at noon, and the suggestion is that she had gone at noon because she was a person of ill repute in the community. She had been married five times, and the person with whom she was living was not her husband. And so she had gone at noontime, maybe to keep the tongues from wagging and talking about her. And so there, in the heat of the noonday, Jesus is wearied from his journey. Donald Marr and I were talking earlier this week about this passage of Scripture, and he said that he had not noticed until uh, he had read it this time that Jesus grew tired. This tells us that he was man as well as God, and that when he walked a long way in the stifling heat, that he became hungry and his stomach would gnaw from hunger and that he became weary and tired and so he sat down at this well at Sychar and then he sent his disciples into the nearby city to buy some food for them. I've often wondered how we got this detailed account of the conversation. It seems that he sent them all away into the city and that he was there alone. So how did we get this account? I think it must have been that Jesus later told the disciples in detail all that had happened. Because this woman of Samaria comes out and uh, Jesus being a master of knowing what human nature is like said to her, give me a drink. He wanted a drink of water. And the Samaritan woman replied to him, why don't you know the rules? Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. They wouldn't drink out of the same dipper that I drink out of. 
And Jesus said, taking her where she is, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now then, this is what I stressed a moment ago. There are people who come very unwillingly to church, who do not know the gift of God nor God's power to communicate some blessing to them, and who go away with their hearts never having been touched nor helped nor changed, because there was no hunger and there was no thirst in their part after righteousness. They do not know what they are doing. They do not know who is present when the word of God is preached. They do not know what is happening when the sacraments of the church are rightly administered. And so they go away and their souls are dead and not responsive to any truth and unblessed if you knew the gift of God. I used to have an old professor in seminary who said, if you would only know the gift of God, you could be saved in a baptismal service, when nothing was done but a service of baptism. You could be saved at a communion service, where a person broke the bread and lifted up the cup and spoke of the broken body and the shed blood of his Lord, if your heart were hungry to receive the truth and the forgiveness of God at so great a cost. So if you knew the gift of God, God could do great things. How many of us have come to church and never gone away with a blessing because we never expected any blessing? I can remember one time driving all the way from Texas to Georgia where I was in seminary at Columbia Seminary. And there had been a terrible accident, and uh, we had had a lawsuit uh, made against us, which I thought was terribly unfair. And I was worried. I'd never had any experience with courts or lawyers. And I was so full of distress. And I remember going into a church where a minister announced that the text was from the epistle to the Hebrews. And he preached on that remarkable passage that we should set our feet and our mind upon those things which cannot be shaken, that they would remain forever. He went on to say, let your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And when I went away from church that day, I felt blessed and drawn close to God and strengthened inside. Abraham Lincoln used to say of the Beatitudes that there was one Beatitude that he knew he could qualify for. And that was the one that said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And he said, I want to do the right thing. And so this woman, 
Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She goes along with this. Now notice her respect for him seems to increase. For here she calls him sir. Sir, she says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. She's puzzled by his analogy. Where then will you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. What an incredible claim. What an astounding claim. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. This is an enormous claim on his part. To give to us something this morning that will last not only through life but for all eternity. Just a little more than a week ago, Thursday morning a week ago, Charles Rathbun and I stopped by to see Bill Griffin right outside the gate, Mr. Griffin. He was one of the first people I ever met when I moved from Scotland uh, here to come to Montreat to work for Billy Graham years and years ago. I remember pulling into Mr. McMurray's filling station and Bill Griffin came out and, and put gasoline in the car and he was washing the windshield and he reached around to speak with me and asked me if I was new and I said yes. And he said, we'd like to have you come and worship in our church. And he invited me to church. And I'll never forget that. And then he spoke a good word to me about Jesus Christ. He did not know I was a minister. And he spoke to me about the Lord, and it made an impression on me. Thursday a week ago, we went by to see him, and he was asleep on a, a couch out on the front porch in the cool wind and shade. He aroused, and I read to him from the Psalms, and he thanked me. He recognized me, and we prayed together. And this week, he's in heaven with the Lord. His life went swiftly away after that. None of us know when we're going to be called upon to leave this life. And here is something that lasts for eternity, not just this life. The woman said, give me this water, but she... Uh, thinks of it in a crass way. Sir, she says, give me this water in great politeness so that I don't have to come here and draw. A lot of people are that crass about going to church, aren't they? Uh, they say, give it all to me at one time. Just, just hand me a dose of religion that'll last me for life. Let me get inoculated so that I don't have to work at this discipleship every day and pray so that I don't have to crucify my feelings against people who do me wrong, so that I don't have to swallow my own wrath and forgive, so that I can do, uh, so that I don't have to fight against those impulses that would pull me in wrong directions. But you don't get it that way. It's living water, and it's something that works in us day by day. Jesus said to her, and you know, this is something very important. She, he said, go call your husband. Now, he knew her, and he knew that she had had five husbands, 
and that the man that she was living with now was not her husband? Why does he deliberately say something that to us might seem a bit harsh? Go call your husband. Because he deals honestly with every one of us, and he cannot get to first place with us unless he can probe that sore spot. He is not interested in the 99 easy things that you can do for him. He is interested in the one thing that you don't want to give up and the one thing that you don't want to let go of. And if you get that, it'll be well worth coming through the heat to the church today. It's that one area of your life that you do not want to surrender to him that he wants. Get that straight, and you'll know no living water and no power of grace and salvation until you let go and let that thing free. And so he places his finger upon this painful part, go call your husband and come here. Now let me say this about Jesus. Some people expose our sins just to make us writhe in pain and agony. Jesus doesn't do it for that reason. He does it because he wants to heal her. It's one thing for me to put down these scriptures about homosexuality. But I must also be willing to work with people who come to me, and they do, who are struggling against that thing and who want the forgiveness of God and a new way of living and a new orientation in their life. And unless I am willing to help, then I should not be willing to condemn. It's one thing to condemn things. It's another thing to be willing to help. Jesus says, go call your husband, and she says, I have no husband. And so he says, you're, you're right about this, you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. And then the woman has an amazing answer. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> he has graduated in her estimation from sir to prophet. Isn't it funny how some coarse people will recognize things like this? I was listening to Charles Swindoll the other day, and he told of a, a man who had gone into a, a place out in California, one of these Kentucky Fried Chicken places. He, was, he uh, had gone in, he and a lady that he was with had come into the Kentucky Fried Chicken place. They were going to the beach, and they were in a pickup truck, and he ordered uh, uh, two chicken dinners, and they put them in the thing, and then they left and they got to the beach and the man opened up their lunch and in the lunch was the entire receipts for that day, $825, a lot more than fried chicken. And uh, so um, he quickly put the thing back up and they drove the pickup all the way back into Long Beach. Uh, they were at Newport Beach and they drove back into Long Beach and he went to the Kentucky Fried Chicken place and he, they had already called the police trying to find out what had happened. And he said, look, I got to where we were going, and, and uh, this uh, uh, money was in here, and here it is. And they said, oh, thank you. You must be the most wonderful man in the world. We need to get some publicity about this. Let's call the reporters. And he said, oh, no, the woman I'm with is not my wife. <laughs> so <laughs> you can never tell what you're getting into. 
uh, here Jesus deals with this woman where she is. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Uh, uh, and Jesus takes her right where she is. And, and notice how theological she gets. Boy, I always watch people who get theological. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, she says in an unctuous tone. <laughs> Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. See, she's going to talk about theology now. Leighton Ford used to tell about a preacher who, who had a very sepulchral voice who was always praying with this terrible funeral home voice. And uh, some little boy, the preacher had just come into this town and the little kid had been down in the basement and killed a big wharf rat. And he went running up into the living room and the minister was there visiting his uh, family and visiting his mother and the little boy was so excited he didn't see him and he was holding that rat by the tail and he said, Mama, look at this rat. He said, I beat him and I hit him and I hit him and I hit him with a stick. And then he looked up and saw the reverend and he said, and the Lord called him home. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we get this idea about life. And uh, we need to get to where people are. And Jesus does this very quickly here. He gets where people are. Uh, she wants to get theological. He says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You people say that in Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming. When neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We worship that which we know for salvation. A great word which has fallen into oblivion. Salvation is from the Jews. I can't guarantee you salvation from the bomb. But I can guarantee you salvation from the sin and then they can drop the bomb on your head and you'll be okay. But an hour is coming and now is when those who, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for such the Father seek to worship him. Don't lie to God in your prayers. Don't lie to God in your worship. Level with him and he'll speak to you. He is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then the key verse. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will declare all things to us. And then Jesus said, and this is remarkable, he did not say to Nicodemus, I am the Christ, to that great theologian, but to this much married woman who is living with a man now who is not her husband. He makes this magnificent revelation, I who speak to thee am he. I am the Messiah. My when he said that, she was so excited. She left her water pot, the vessel she had come to draw water with, and she ran away into the town. By this time, his disciples had come back. And they knew something big had been going on there. And I've always said, and I had an artist one time who helped me with this, one of the most beautiful paintings you could paint would be the blaring hot noonday sun and just a well with an empty water pot, a beautiful water pot, 
that someone got so excited that they ran off and left. And let me say this about the credibility of the Gospel of John. No person writing fiction would have ever thought of putting a little note like that in, would they? This was an eyewitness account. John had come back there, and he saw that woman run away in that water pot. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, notice she knew the men, she said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Is not, this is, this is not the Christ, is it? Now he's gone from a prophet to the probability that this is the Christ. Come and see a man who told me all the things that ever I did. He knows all about us. He knows every single thing you did last week. He knows everything you've done all this past year. Everything you've done all your life. And the incredible thing is that he knows us and what we have done. And yet he loves us. He revealed himself to this woman. And Jesus talked about a harvest. We've been talking about witnessing this week. And he told the disciples, you say it's four months till harvest, don't you? He said, lift up your eyes and look, because the whole town was coming out. He had sowed one seed here in a sinful woman's heart. And she had gone away into the town, and the whole town was coming out to him. They looked and they saw all these people who were dressed differently from the Jews coming out. He said, lift up your eyes and look. One Donald Mara, who comes to a faith in Jesus Christ, who has been in the Kirk for years, when he gives his heart and life to Jesus Christ, what happens? He goes to the prisons and witnesses for Jesus, and so does his wife. He sponsors the Billy Graham telecasts in the Bahamas, he, where no appeals for funds can be made. He puts the hour of decision on the air so that people can hear the broadcasts of the gospel. You take someone and really get them right with the Lord, and then look back and the whole village will be coming out to him. Let us bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, this woman came wearily to the well, 45 minutes away from her town to draw water. And she came back with a well already in her heart. We pray that you will help us to have such an experience with you and to help each one of us here to know that no matter where we stand at this point in our relationship to you, that if we are willing to give as much of ourselves as we know how to give to as much of you as we can understand, that you'll take us where we are and that you will progressively lead us on to higher ground and grant that no person here thirsty for that living water may go away today 
unrefreshed by this thy word, but willing to believe and willing to obey. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.